going to be kicking off um, our very, our very uh, first Sunday of a series that we have called uh, Milk Bubbles. And some of you may have seen the little video we had on social media. And the, the concept comes from this idea that joy, peace, and, and hope increase in our lives as we trust in God. Let's look at Romans chapter 15, verse 13 real quick. This is our launch scripture for the next four weeks. That may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, is this this scripture is just one of my favorite ones. I, I think about it and, and deal with it on a regular on a regular basis. It's just this 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 thing of knowing God better and trusting him more and it, it transforming our lives. And as I was thinking about this thing, this overflowing with the power of the Holy Spirit, well, you may not realize that the Greek word that as you're reading through the New Testament um, obviously, it's been translated from how it was originally penned into English so that we can read it. And so, but that original Greek word is this word for the for spirit is pneuma. In pneuma, we understand from like pneumatic tools, this air-driven, air-powered thing. You get a, need a strong wrench, you have a pneumatic wrench. And, and so we understand this air power is a big deal. When we begin to incorporate that and understand that this this pneuma, this breath, this overflowing by the power of the pneuma, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I just thought about, you know, how so many times we can have we can have joy in these like red letter moments. You know, not too long from now, the, all the seniors in high school and seniors in college are going to have a red letter moment and, and have their graduations. And then we have birthdays and anniversaries and Christmas and, and we have these big joy moments. But the rest of the calendar, the rest of the calendar seems kind of bland and kind of humdrum and kind of everyday. And then I thought about just a good old glass of plain milk, which I realized we did the poll. Some of you people are creeped out by milk, all right? And so some of you hate milk. You don't like milk. Other of you are like milk fanatics. And so, uh, but I just thought about this regular old glass of plain milk and a little kid with a straw and a little air power. And just all of a sudden, something that was ordinary, something that was plain, all of a sudden begins to overflow and begin to have some joy and begin to have some life in it as this breath, as this power of this spirit, the pneuma begins to enter in. And I really believe that that's kind of the heart of what we're seeing. It's a good picture for what we're seeing here in Romans chapter 15, that may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, as we trust in him. So many times we want to we want to trust God once he's given us the joy and peace. We're like, I'm full of joy and peace, so now I can trust God. No, we get full of joy and peace as we trust in him. That means we begin to trust in him and there's not some joy and there's not some peace yet. But then his spirit enters our life and it begins to, to fill us up. So that we may overflow with the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God wants this not just for us, but this to invade everyone around us. For this to be an overflow kind of experience. And so uh, years ago, 
um, I was doing the dishes. Um, we were, yes, wow. And uh, we ran out, of a, ran out of Cascade. And I looked over there on the sink, and I saw some Joy detergent. And I was like, soap is soap. So I fill the dishwasher, I fill the little container, I shut it, set it, we leave for a little bit. And man, I'm telling you what, you come back and you get all that agitator and stuff. Um, I didn't know Cascade did not have sudsing agents in it. We opened up, first off, there was suds coming all over. Our floor had suds this deep in it. Keenan was about one years old and he thought we made him a winter wonderland. He was in the kitchen just enjoying every bit of it. There was just soap everywhere. We began to see there was the little buttons. Man, there was soap coming out from around the buttons. There was soap everywhere. You opened it up, and it was a wall of suds. You couldn't even see the dishes in there. And, um, yeah, I did not impress my wife that day. And uh, we had to run that thing like ten times to just get all of that stuff. And there were suds coming out like the first five. But man, as I sit there for, when I, every time I think about an overflow of joy, I can't get that image out of my mind that all of a sudden it just can't be contained. It just can't be stopped. And so, and that's what God wants to do in our lives, not make a mess. God wants the joy to be so rich in our lives, so rich in our lives that even when we peek on the inside of the stuff we're trying to clean up, we still just see joy. We still just see joy. It's just everywhere in our lives. And, and as we lean into this series, I want that imagery put down deep on the inside of us. Because this series about, is about tracking through the book of Philippians. We're going to go through Philippians. We're going to spend a chapter a week as we go through this. And, and the truth is, is as we look at that, Paul's situation as he writes the book of Philippians, the word joy or rejoice is featured in every chapter of the book. If you were going to say what is the theme of Philippians, it'd be joy. But Paul writes the book of Philippians, not sitting on a beach, sitting there and have his nice umbrella, kick back, sitting there, got his little parchments, the original iPad, and he's sitting there writing and doing his stuff, and somebody's bringing him a refreshing beverage. Paul's in prison. Paul's in prison and he is shackled. He is in chains. As he writes and he adjusts in his seat, you can hear the clink of metal attached to some part of his body. Whether it's an ankle bracelet or whether it's on his wrist, you can hear the clinks. Every jot and tittle of this letter, there are chain sounds associated with every word written. He is in prison. This is not this situation where he's just in this amazing, joy-filled, incredible, awesome moment. Not on the outside. But, but Paul had found this thing. Paul was more interested and more focused on what was going on on his inside than he was on the outside. And all of a sudden now, it didn't matter what circumstance he got put in, joy was what overflowed. October the 14th, 1987, one day after my 14th birthday, all the world's attention went to a little community outside of Midland, Texas. Not because Christmas one day to be Clark was looking extra good at 13 years old, but 
I am sure she was. I'm sure she's looking fine. But all the world's attention was not put on Greenwood, Texas on that day. For that, all the world's attention was put on Greenwood, Texas because there's a little baby that fell down a well named Jessica McClure. And she is stuck 20-something feet down in in an open, open old well. And it was one of the first things I remember of a, of a 24-hour news cycle where everything, you, no, no matter what channel you put it on, they were talking about looking at updating for the next few days what was going on with baby Jessica. And this little child was, had, had, had fallen down into this well, in this tight little old oil well thing, and this thing, and she had squeezed down in there, and her leg was up, pushed up against her head, and it was a horrible thing, and everybody was freaking out about trying to get her out and keep her hydrated and keep all these different things. And this, this, I remember the most moving moment was we got an update one day as we were in class that they were so encouraged because they had put a microphone down the well to hear her breath and her heartbeat to make sure she was okay. And I still to this day get moved to tears when I think about this little baby. And I believe we had seven of them. And this little one in this horrible situation had been there. She'd had her crying moment. She had had her upset moment. She'd, she'd slept in those moments. She'd, but there's a moment where she's in this horrible place, and they began to pick up her singing, Winnie the Pooh, Winnie the Pooh, tubby little cubby all stuffed with fluffy, Winnie the Pooh. And you just begin to just think, how? How? How is this little one down 20-something feet down in a hole, been down there for days at this point, and seeing her favorite little cartoon song. Folks, there's something that God has equipped us with as, a, as children. That's why it's called childlike faith. When we begin to see something, interact with something, and lean on something bigger than us and bigger than our circumstances. And praise God, that little girl was able to find something that brought her some joy, something that brought her some hope, In the middle of a really ugly situation. And I remember that moment when that firefighter gets pulled up out of that well. Holding that little baby wrapped up in there. And I'll remember that imagery the rest of my life. But that moment, I couldn't tell you hardly any any two other details of that long ongoing event. Other than they got her out. And she sang Winnie the Pooh. She sang Winnie the Pooh in the middle of that situation. As we look at Philippians, folks, this is not a pleasant situation, but there is joy to be found and joy to be had in the most difficult of places. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul writes, he says, I thank my God. Remember the chains rattling as he writes, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He could have been whining. He's like, Lord, I can't even get to my disciples. I started something. Something got started in their lives, and there's nothing I can can do to connect with them. I'm in these chains. But instead, he's like, nope, there's somebody that's not chained. There's the Holy Spirit. 
And I am confident that God is going to finish the work that got begun through my ministry. I don't have to be there hands on. The Holy Spirit is there. The Holy Spirit is active. The Holy Spirit is a part. And his viewpoint was so different than what our natural viewpoint would have been. But he understood these things. We're quickly going to, to look at this. That first and foremost is that happiness is external. But joy is internal. Happiness is external, but joy is internal. Second Corinthians, Paul writes at another time. Therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Outwardly, it's, it doesn't look good. But inwardly, man, God's changing things. He's renewing things. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory that far outweigh them all. So we fix our eyes, not what is seen, but what is, on un, what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. Happiness is external, but joy is internal. The next thing Paul understood is that happiness is based on circumstances, but joy is based on Christ. We were built to be in relationship with God. We go back to the Garden of Eden. We were built to be in relationship with the creator of the universe. We were built for that, and we can't have joy, real joy, outside of that. We can have moments of contentment, moments of, uh, of happiness that are external, but real life-giving joy only comes from our relationship and our connection with our Heavenly Father. In fact, the, the Latin word for, for ha uh, happy is the word hap, which means luck. It just means luck. It's just that it happened to be that way. It just And happiness is based on just the way things go, just circumstance. We're going to go ahead and jump to Philippians 4. We'll revisit this on week 4 of Milk Bubbles. But I want us to see his mindset, okay? Philippians 4.11 says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I've learned it. It's not natural. It's not innate. We want to look at our circumstances and decide if we're going to be happy or not. We're going to decide if we're going to have joy or not. But Paul says, I've learned. I've learned to be content. I've learned to have this, this joy that, that powers my life and doesn't rip away <clears throat> what I have in Christ, no matter the circumstances. And then the next thing is, is that happiness is based on chance. And joy is based on choice. There's so many times that people ever, it can have the mindset that, that the happy people are in life are the people that got all the breaks, the, the lucky people. But that's not the way it goes. Real joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's what God does in our lives. And, and Deuteronomy 30, 19, we hit on this every once in a while so that remember that while we're sucking oxygen, there's life and death, and we've got to choose life. Christ has given us life, but we still have to choose life. And Deuteronomy 30, 19 says, This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life so that you and your children may live. And then James writes, My brethren, count it all joy. What? Count it. Begin to shift and look and find joy. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. That's no fun. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. 
there's this choice where we begin to lean in to joy. So this understanding so that we clear up what joy is. We're not going to confuse it with happiness. Happiness happens. Joy is a fruit of the spirit. And we should have a baseline of joy, which makes all of the little happenstance things all the sweeter. But when things, circumstances go against us, it doesn't rob us of our joy. Our, our founding fathers wanted us to be able to have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit, why? Because it's elusive. It runs. It's a moving target. And guess what? As Paul is writing here, guess what? His life was on the line as he was there in prison. His liberty had been removed, and his ability to pursue happiness was gone. He couldn't pursue anything. But he was able to live in a place of joy. Not based on any of the natural things we, from, a, from an American mindset, see. But from what a, a life in Christ actually is. So see, this understanding of the difference between happiness and joy enables us to keep our joy no matter what happens. Because we understand that happiness and joy aren't the same thing, we can have joy no matter what happens. And this is so vital for us. So we're not tossed around by life. We can have this, this place where the fruit of the Spirit grows in our lives no matter how our boss treats us, no matter how our spouse treats us, no matter if things go the way we planned for them to go or they, or they blew up on our face. We can begin to have this constant joy based on, on who Jesus is and what he's done. Let's keep track in there in Philippians chapter 1. Let's look at verse 9. And Paul writes, he says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge. Remember, we want to know God better and trust him more in knowledge and depth of insight. Your love ought to increase the more you know God. The more we, he begins to be revealed in, to us and in us, our love ought to increase. He says, so that you may be able to discern what is best. Why? Because we can't a lot of times discern what's actually good for us. We'll try to fix and get ourselves happy. I want to be happy. I want to be happy. And so many times in this pursuit of happiness, we are eroding the baseline of what is best in our lives. Sometimes eating the vegetables doesn't make you happy. Cake makes me happy. Cake does not make me healthy. A little bit of cake. bit of cake not so much we have to be willing to let and and the, let the spirit of god lead us into what is best and be pure and blameless until the day of christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through jesus christ to the glory and praise of our god so if we're going to be able to have joy no matter what happens then we're going to have to get over the distraction of what happened. Okay? So much of our current joy is robbed, not based on our current circumstance, but on a previous circumstance. And all of a sudden, somehow, somehow, somebody didn't just clip our pocket and rob our money in that moment. They left a hole in our pocket so that every dollar that goes in goes bloop. 
Yes, maybe we were robbed at one point. Maybe there was something that was tragically done. But if we don't let the Holy Spirit bring some healing, then that thing begins to rob what, what God's trying to do now. What he's trying to do now. And it just keeps beginning to sleeping out of the old cut and the old hurt and the old place. If we don't let him be able to bring some healing to it. Paul faced this, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. He says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's in jail. He's talking about me getting chunked in jail. And if you are a student of the, chat, of the book of Acts, he actually ends up in, in, in jail in this moment. And appealing to Caesar, which is why he was in jail for such a long period of time. Not because of pressures from outside the church, but because of people inside the church. He's in, he's in jail not from people who were oblivious to who Jesus was, but people who knew who Jesus was. Read Acts chapter 21 and 22, and it'll show you that. So he says, brothers, I want you to know what's happened to me has served to advance the gospel. I'm not upset about what happened. The gospel's moving forward. He changed his view about it. He saw a bigger picture than simply how it affected him personally. And so in that, we have to, to discover new opportunities. If things shift and, and are moving around on us and the circumstances are shifting, guess what? God is always at work. Nothing happens and God goes, well, there goes my plan. My plans were awesome, giving you a hope and a, oh, no. Oh, yeah, no future anymore. That was dumb. That was an epic, galactic kind of dumb I could not foresee or deal with. Your dumb exceeds my awesomeness. And I just really don't know what to do here. No, God is always able if we will give him the situation, and he will create. But we've got to look for the, these new opportunities. My dad's dad, my Grandpa Clark, uh, had worked for, for Gulf Oil in uh, Andrew, Texas. And um, things got tight, and he got laid off. Um, that stinks. A uh, husband, a, a dad, had kids to raise, and he got laid off. But he had a skill set. He knew how to take care of, of wells. He knew how to get work done. So he saw that opportunity that he was now unemployed as, an, op as a, an opportunity to try something new. So he started a roustabout company and began to start his own company. Now that he was his boss, and nobody going to fire him anymore. And he began to add more trucks and began to build a successful oil service company out of a place that could have been really ugly. Could have been kicking rocks and said, man, I was, I was doing a good job, and they laid me off. And in the middle of a place where he laid off, he saw opportunity and went after an opportunity. We have to change the way we see circumstances and things going not our way sometimes. Maybe there's some doors open, and we've got our nose stuck in the corner, and there's an open door right here. But I wanted to walk this way. Why can't the door be here? Just turn. Just let God lead you. Just turn. Philippians chapter 1, verse 13 says, As a result, remember this is right after 12. As a result, 
it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Everyone, the palace guard, everybody, man, this, this, what's happening here is, is making its way known. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. There are some people that maybe stepped up to, with the ministry that if Paul would have been there, they'd have just shrunk to the back and said, yeah, Paul's got it. But Paul's in chains, man. Somebody's got to step up. And they stepped up and they began to preach the gospel courageously and fearlessly. And Paul rejoices in this. They tried to chain the gospel. You can't chain the gospel. And he's like, man, you can't, you can't hold back what God has done for humanity. So in that we have to focus. We have to focus on what really matters. We got to get past what happened. We got to see new opportunities that are for in front of us and focus on what really matters. Philippians 1:15 says it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. I don't really even understand what preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry even really looks like. I don't even understand that. But apparently some people were doing it. Jesus as the savior of the world was being preached out of envy and rivalry. I don't even really get how that happened. But it happened, and it was something that you would people would have gone, man, that needs to stop. But man, Paul has the big picture. He says, the latter do it in love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, not sincerely supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. They're preaching the gospel, trying to make life hard for Paul. Still, I don't understand that one either. But Paul's like, bring it. Somehow when you're running your mouth trying to get me in trouble, you're spitting out who Jesus is and what he's done at the same time, and people are somehow getting saved in that mess. Keep it up, big boy. Keep going. That's all Paul has to say. But what, well, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. And you know what? So when I got it, began to get a hold of this a few years back, I was like, you know what? I don't, I'm not going to, to look down on any churches that view the scriptures a little different than me. If they hold up that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice that they're pointing people to Jesus. Maybe they look at the scriptures a little differently than this. And maybe they look at the scriptures a little differently than that. But if, they, if Paul can do it about people who are trying to stir up trouble for him, then the preacher down the street who don't even know who Brandon Clark is, but to give it declaring that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm going to celebrate that man. I'm going to celebrate that woman. I'm going to celebrate that church. I'm going to celebrate that ministry. Because guess what? The gospel is going forth. And we got to get over the petty stuff and focus on the big stuff. We have to. We have to. See, ultimate joy comes with proper perspective. And when you know Christ, you are in a win-win situation. And I'm a freshman in college over here at ASU, and I was challenged to read the book of Philippians every day for a month. A wonderful minister that passed away fairly recently uh, 
the master pastor, Floyd Kreider, uh, was a, a wonderful man in our community, uh, challenged me to read Philippians every day for a month. So I did. I read Philippians every day for a month and, and saw how rich just, just read, spending time in just one letter can be. It doesn't get old and boring in 28, 30 days. And anyways, and so this, this, this passage of Scripture really began to get a, get a hold of me. And I, I wrote it on so all sorts of things, and it, it just seemed like something, uh, like a, you know, a, a bold, somebody would yell, and, and like a rally cry. And Philippi, in Philippians 1.21, Paul writes, for, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And I saw it as defiant when I was younger and immature. I saw it as defiant, like something William Wallace would yell. To live is Christ, to die is gain, and, and just going. And then I began to see what this was about. It wasn't about the dying. It was about the living. It's to live as Christ. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna bring Jesus as much as I possibly can. As long as there's breath in my body, there's life in me, then I am going to present Christ over and over again. And it, when that time ends, I win. It's gain. Death isn't a loss. Death isn't a loss. Death is a gain for a believer. And Paul understood this, which is why with a death sentence on his head, he could write about joy with shackles because he knew that if he stayed there, people are going to hear about Jesus. And if he's gone, then he's going to be with Jesus. But either way, it's Jesus. Folks, we have to understand this. We have to understand this. I want you... Either save your bulletin this week, or if you're using version, I want you to take a screenshot of this, okay? We talked last week about the power of our words, and I want us to begin to put that into practice this week. And I want us to take Romans chapter 15, verse 13. If you have a before-the-door moment, remember that's not over. That's something little foundation we laid in us as a church. If you have a before-the-door moment, I want you to do this and, and to say this. And declare this, that the God of hope fills me with all joy and peace as I trust in him so that I may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And just taking that Romans 15, 13, making it personal. And I want you to just do that. I want as your pastor, I just want you to just this week, just this week, begin to just declare it. Open your mouth and declare it because I'm telling you, God wants that for us. No matter the circumstance, maybe you're having a fantastic week. It's wonderful. Maybe you're having a rough week. All the more so. All the more so recognize. Yeah, happiness is external, but joy is internal. And God is at work in us. See, the truth is, the truth, folks, is, is that joy is found in trust. It's found in trust. Trust seems to be the, the scary word. That anytime somebody says, oh, trust me, we, we, we run screaming. That if we find our place where we feel like, oh, I'm going to have to trust, it's a, it's a creepy, unnerving thing. And, and we have wrongly, emotionally connected trust with something uncertain and, and something that, 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 that doesn't, isn't full of joy. But the truth is, is that, that joy is found in trust. It's found in trusting God. 
joy in anything is found in trust. The joy of my marriage is that I fully trust my wife. That I fully trust her with my heart. And that makes my relationship with her full of joy. My relationship with my God is, is full of joy as I trust in Him. Folks, this is, it's not just something we say because it's, it, it, it's, it rolls off the tongue. But folks, I'm convinced that if we'll know God better, then we will trust Him more. Our lives will be transformed. I know it. I know it. Folks, I, I love this imagery and the, the milk bubbles. And, but that, you know, you're never empty when you're overflowing. If there's an overflow, your core glass, it's full all the time. All the time. So let's let God do that. Let's let God bring some overflow into our lives.